Screen Talk is now available on iTunes. You can subscribe at the iTunes Store or online, and you can find a link at IndieWire.com. If you have a moment, please review the show. It'll help us build our subscriber base, and it'll give us a sense of what you really think. You can also send us feedback and request topics for us to discuss on the show. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Eric Cohn, and Ann Thompson is at A.K. Stanwick. I'm with the show. Okay, welcome everybody to the latest edition of Screen Talk, IndieWire's podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the chief film critic and senior editor at IndieWire, and I'm joined by Ann Thompson from the battlegrounds of, of Comic-Con. How, how are you doing out there, Ann? You, you surviving? I'm sitting on the floor outside of Hall H, and I have a little bathroom pass, which I have to go back in in order to do the Paramount panel. I just saw the Giver panel, and I saw the DreamWorks Animation panel, where Benedict Cumberbatch was greeted with screams by the Cumberbitches in the hall. It just shows you what a, you know, kind of crazy world we have to inhabit in, in the sense that, you know, one week we're talking about the uh, the fall season and film festival and all, and all that kind of stuff and next week you're sitting on the floor you know with all the fanboys kind of trying trying to come up for air the thing I like about this place when I come back to it each time even though it's a pain in the ass and it is 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 just the there's a sort of joyful aspect to the to the cosplay and all the all the people in costumes and and you know I I love running around with my camera and just sort of taking pictures of the steampunks and the the uh, you know Mad Hatters and so forth it's and the women who are sort of decked out like babes you know it, it's a it's fun it's a totally different kind of subculture than the one that we tend to cover which is really you know one that's sort of crafted by the film industry do you see any kind of overlap I mean you went to the Giver panel which is you know technically an indie film being released by the Weinstein company what's weird about the Giver and I wish it well because the footage I saw actually looks really good is that this is a situation almost like I hate to say it <laughs> John Carter and, and that may Uh-oh. seem like a stretch but it's the comparison DOA, is that's it. this is the original original material that was created 21 years ago that decades of young adult fan fiction, uh, excuse me, young adult fiction, dystopian fiction specifically, have fed off of. And now that I know more about this book, I realize that the, that Divergent was inspired by this book. And totally. unfortunately, this is coming in rather late in the day when that cycle may have run its course. But that said, the book has legions of devoted fans, so hopefully the similarities are not going to uh, keep it uh, keep them at bay. I also enjoyed the book quite a bit as, as a young person and, and hope that it's good because it is a very rich uh, work of dystopian fiction that slowly reveals new elements of its mystery as it moves along and whether or not certain elements of the plot work as a movie are kind of hard to say. I mean, there are things about how the character perceives the world that I can't see them doing cinematically. But, you know, again, because I think the book is so strong, I would like to see this movie work. Now, this is one of a whole bunch of titles that we're anticipating. This one in particular fits into the Comic-Con scene in some ways. But there's so much more. And last week we were sort of pontificating on some of those possibilities. But now we can say for certainty it's going to be a hell of a dense fall because we got the lineup for the Toronto Film Festival. You wrote extensively about some of the movies that wound up there, others that are going to wind up at the Telluride Film Festival. You really delved into this interesting dynamic with 
Telluride and Toronto having this kind of showdown where Toronto said, if you go to Telluride, then you can't be in the first week in Toronto, which means you get less exposure. And it seems kind of like Telluride is, is winning that battle. What do you think? It's interesting. When you talk to the distributors, they don't necessarily put it that way. It's almost like they see the different... I think New York did very well with the three films that they grabbed. And, and Telluride, um, is, we, can, we can tell what the films are. You know, Wild is basically world premiering at, at Telluride. And now we have the Venice schedule as well. And we can see basically 20 or so world premieres that they've got. It's going to be interesting to see what opening night at Toronto turns out to be. Um, and, and I don't know that Toronto came out ahead on this one, but they got what they wanted. The world premieres that they, that they have, uh, which seem, you know, relatively mainstream, really, and, and not so much the Oscar contenders. I mean, what struck me about all these lists of movies, and as I poured through them, there was a lot I really wanted to see. But it wasn't like there was, you, you could see the performances that might pop out, you know, the Reese Witherspoon or the, the Jake Gyllenhaal or whatever. But it didn't strike me as, as an intensely Oscar lineup. I don't know about you. No, I have to go through it and figure it out. I have to tell you what I'm excited about when I see a lineup like that is specifically that, that, you know, the movies that are worth talking about are not the movies that fit into that cookie cutter formula of award season pontification. You know, I'm excited about Abel Ferrara's Pasolino, a Pasolino biopic. That's you know, going to world premiere at Venice. At Venice, but I'll probably see it in Toronto. It doesn't strike me as a Telluride kind of title, but uh, we'll see. And then there's something like David Gordon Green's Manglehorn with, with uh, Al Pacino. and apparently As a locksmith? As a locksmith. <laughs> I, my understanding is there's a scene where he beats the crap out of Harmony Korine. So it just sounds like a really nutty, extravagant kind of experience in, in ways that are not going to be part of the award season conversation. And, but look, I mean, Wild, you know, the, the Jean-Marc Marc Vallée film, the trailer premiered and everyone was really excited about this thing, and it's, it's a clear-cut award season kind of movie. No question. Sure. That one stands out. So, you know, there, there, there will be enough of that to kind of go around, and yet there's all this other stuff that might complicate the fall season conversation in more interesting ways. And one of the reasons why I think that's positive is that we're already in award season mode we're talking about movies like boyhood or even a dark horse candidate like andy circus and there must be other things right i mean it's not like we need telluride in toronto to happen before we even talk about movies that are in the race that's true we can I, i'm, I'm going to sit down and and actually go through everything and sort of try to figure it out at this stage but you know as i've always said i prefer to see the films before i start talking about whether they're oscar worthy or not Right, especially because you know that there are a lot of people spending money and, and planning all kinds of different things around these movies. You say one thing and you never know whose strategy you might be impacting when. But I think what this, you know, what's interesting to me about this conversation in a broader sense is, is that um, it doesn't really allow us to focus on movies that might deserve awards attention, but for very specific kind of bland reasons aren't a part of the conversation. Now, you and I both really like a movie that's opening this week, A Most Wanted Man. It's technically Philip Seymour Hoffman's last lead role, although he will appear in the Hunger Games films. Uh, this is this really beautiful John le Carré adaptation. I think it's one of his best 
lead performances, but it doesn't seem like there's any kind of awards campaign in play here. Actually, Howard sense. Cohen got a got a very noisy headline at Variety. Uh, somebody grabbed him on the red carpet and asked him if it was in the awards race, and then they put it on the in the headline that it was you know he was considering it. Of course, he has to say he's considering right. he it. No. Um, he's he's based, <laughs> he he came to my class last on Wednesday night, so um, last night it seems long and go and far away. But he he basically said, you know, let's see how it plays, let's see how it goes. You know, it's got great reviews. I agree with you one hundred percent. I love this film. I think it's 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 not noisy. It's not showy. Every actor is playing a real character in a good, real way. And I thought, uh, even with the strange accents that the, everybody had to come up with for this German universe, it, it was it was a lovely, beautifully played uh, movie. I, I'm a big fan, and it's my must recommend for this week. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman, he definitely has what I would say is a fairly credible German accent in the film, but much of the acting that he does is separate from anything he says. I mean, it's really about the sophistication on his face, as it always has been, which transcends the material. And this is a very dense espionage tale, as all John le Carré tales are. And and yet, I don't think it's really so much about the plot as it is about the sort of the frustrations of someone so consumed by their work to the point that it, it kind of destroys them. In some ways, it's sort of like the scrappier sibling of Zero Dark Thirty. You know, his character is very similar to Jessica Chastain's. They're both these intelligence operatives who I think are, you know, they, they have these genuine motivations, but they're playing very ugly games. And, and it's a fascinating movie for that reason. You know, but it's interesting, of course, you know, you ask somebody if they have an award season campaign, they're going to say yes. But I remember last year with the Nicole Hall of Senior film, uh, which was uh, this great James Gandolfini performance, Enough uh, said. Enough said. You know, that to me also seemed like it could be a good award season place. I thought off, so too. And I, I, I pushed and pushed and pushed. But that's one of those cases where because it was a little bit L.A., a little bit comedic, uh, because there was a TV star, you know, even if she's an Emmy winner and so forth, wasn't enough. So you think Hoffman has a better shot? That is up to how competitive the best actor race ends up being because there's so many films in the fall that have strong male leads and the biggest stars in in uh, Hollywood end up doing these sort of fall uh, award season movies because that's the best stuff they can get. Right. It, so. It's either an action film or an award season film. What are some of the other uh, major contenders? I'm going to have to sit down and really go down through that list and, and figure it out. I have, I have to sit down and do my chart. We're getting into it now. We're getting into the thick of it. It's July. Give me a break. <laughs> we got Ben Affleck for for a Gone Girl, you know, who plays Batman, who's standing above me right now. The real Big Batman. Batman. Flag, the real or, Batman is standing right oh, above okay. me. He 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 heard me say the name, and he came over and sort of gesticulated at me. <laughs> Presumably not Ben Affleck, but you know, no. could be anywhere. So that so that that's an interesting point. You know, you're out at Comic Con. I saw Guardians of the Galaxy yesterday. I thought it was pretty fun. We can maybe dig into that a little bit next. I week. see it Monday. Yeah. But uh, you know, the, there's an interesting kind of dichotomy that you could probably see to some degree at Comic Con. It's more and more a film dominated event, but the 
kind of movies that they're promoting have nothing to do with conversations about award season. Nothing. Much less, you know, movies that, you know, we want to get excited about as cinephiles. Is there some kind of common ground between those two worlds? Well, The Giver is a, is a Weinstein Co. movie, so I could see if it turns out to be high quality. Um, they're opening it in August, so they, they obviously are going for the commercial play uh, first. Basically, this is all about reaching the fans and about commerciality and, uh, you know, maybe box trolls from Focus Features ends up being in the animation race or, or uh, one of these DreamWorks animation films that's coming out, Penguins of Madagascar, although sequels don't do that well um, in the animated race. So I would suspect that uh, Dragons is the one that they will have uh, in the top five. Even at Comic-Con, there is this kind of war between the scrappy indie side of things, which used to be the reason for the event all by itself, you know, that artists would come, they have these booths, you know, and now... No, it's no, no, like- it's been co-opted by, by the, the marketers and the, and the promotions and, and uh, you know, getting, getting the, the, the key press in to cover things. Like everything else, I can, you know, there's, there's, the, there's the legitimate graphic artists and, and the comic books and the, and the art and all the good stuff, you know, alongside the the hype and the promotion and the craziness and the parties and you know it's like anything else it's a circus it's an interesting sort of uh, analogy for some of the struggles of the indie world you know to some degree you always have that kind of you know small fish in a big sea kind of dynamic to you know if you're if you're working on movies of quality if if you're trying to do something that's actually a real work of art you know you're sort of struggling to stand out in that crowd you know it's just that crowd doesn't always have people dressed up like Batman. You know, it's just sort of a, <laughs> a more cartoonish riff on, on, on the world we're already talking about. We talked last week about whether movies like Boyhood, that's you know, really popular right now, is still going to be in the conversation. Do, do we think that the way that the, the Oscar race ends up playing a role in the fall season will actually work against other movies in the fall, like the ones we talked about before to stand out because of the way that we're, you know, this marketing, these marketing campaigns kind of overwhelm everything. Well, I think one of the reasons why A Most Wanted Man is coming out this summer is because he, Howard wants to get out ahead of all of that noise in the fall. If the big studios are putting all their guns and all their blazing ammunition against these, these fall movies, um, it's, it, there isn't that much room for, for a lot of the, uh, the indies to... It's, it gets very crowded. It gets very expensive. And right. I would say that's that's part of the issue. Right, and that's a really good point. I mean, I, there have been people who have said to me, you know, why do the movies always seem to get better in the fall? And I'm always like, well, look, they're good all year round. It's just that certain people are reminding you that they're really good in the fall, you know? We need so. the award season because these movies wouldn't get made otherwise. And so I'm not knocking it, believe me. I want those movies to continue to get made. The studios make few enough of them as it is that if, if we didn't have the Oscars, they wouldn't make any. <laughs> I'm right. not kidding. I, I it would guess be the indies alone. And it's just because a lot of movie stars and, and talent at the top of the food chain still want to make these movies that they get made. And some people want to have bragging rights about right. them. I wish we had a version of what award season does to the quality of movies to everything else. You know, opening this week, in addition to A Most Wanted Man, on a more mainstream scale is Luc Besson's Lucy with Scarlett Johansson, which I have to tell you, it's nutty, it's silly, it's incredibly entertaining because it's such a mess of ideas, and it's the kind of sort of inventive blockbuster that I'd like to see done more often. So maybe we need a separate award season for, like, big blockbuster movies 
just so that we can kind of instigate that same innovation throughout the year. I don't know. It's called the MTV Movies Awards. <laughs> it's and, like a year uh, later. And, 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 you know, honestly, and then there's the Critics' Choice Awards. There's, there's plenty of awards. We don't need any more of them. <laughs> On that note, I have to run to see what Paramount has in store. And if I don't run in there in the next two minutes, I'm going to miss my, uh, my, my pass will no longer uh, work. Okay, well, you'll update us next week. Stay safe, Anne, and let's hope Thank that you, Eric. Uh, things go well for you. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Talk to you later. Bye.